And a pleasant good morning to you. Jaden Daly here with you on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast, episode number six being recorded here today. And we set the stage for the upcoming weekend and the renewal of perhaps the marquee rivalry in the MAC, even though both schools are in need of any kind of positive momentum. Iona and Manhattan, Iona will have a 51-day layoff, the longest in program history, assuming all goes well between Wednesday, the day of recording this podcast, and Friday afternoon slash evening when the Gales tip off against Manhattan, a team who has lost four straight and five out of six and looking to right the ship in any way possible. We bring in an Iona insider, somebody who knows the program inside and out, a season ticket holder turned media member, so to speak. He has his own podcast on IonaHoops.com, one of the premier sources for information about the Gales, and that is Guy Filatico coming on spending some time with us. Guy, thank you very much for being on. Thanks for having me. And we are we are brothers in podcast now, but we're also idiots for starting our podcast in the middle of a global pandemic. Well, I'll tell you this much. I it, there's no how-to guide on when to start this. And so I'll, ask you, I'll ask you this, guy, since you brought it up, what led you to f- finally take the plunge and join the electronic media? Well, people have been asking uh, me about that for a couple of years as podcasts became more popular. And um, it's not unprecedented for me to be kind of crossing over into the media side of things um, way back when around the 2000s, early 2000s, when Rivals was a a bigger name and um, uh, they made a push to have a lot more coverage in college hoops and pretty much their goal was to have every division one program with us with a, a rivals.com page. And I was, I own as writer at the time. That was the Jeff Ruland era, era of course. Uh, so um, it was actually a great time because I was covering games the way I cover them now, you know, in terms of attending the press conferences and getting a little inside info and things like that. Uh, so it's not unprecedented, but all that time had passed and uh, people have been saying for the last couple of years, oh, hi, you'd be good at it. You should do it. And then I, I really didn't have time or anything. And then once once Rick Pitino became coach and I knew that there'd be a lot more people drawn to the program, I said, this may be the time to do that. So here we are. Well, better late than never. And welcome back to the media landscape, so to speak. And Guy, I own a- three and one in the Mac five and three overall hasn't played since December 23rd, a month and a half of various COVID-19 pauses. Rick Pitino said on the last Mac conference call that he and about half the team, maybe even more than half the team has tested positive at some point or another during the season, not enough healthy players to run a full practice. Hasn't had a full complement as far as the roster's concerned. Guy, 51 days. The first question I ask of you is this, assuming that everything is a go for Friday and Saturday, how much of a factor is this layoff going to be against the Manhattan team? And we'll get into the similarities there that will pressure you and make you uncomfortable. How much of a factor is conditioning going to be with this group? Well, you, that can, in conditioning is it. Iona, um, the one thing that everybody expected entering this season is that Iona was going to go 12 deep. Um, it didn't really materialize because uh, Bettino really didn't have a lot of confidence in the younger guys uh, as as the first few games were, were playing out. And all of a sudden, the minutes started getting tighter and tighter, and he was only going seven deep. Now, since then, maybe we're a little healthier than we were. We're not really sure exactly. We'll find out. 
Um, but uh, you know, in these, in this situation, again, back to these back-to-backs and, and cramming in all these games in a short amount of time, the rest of the way, um, I think he's going to have to go a little bit deeper. Um, so we're going to, we're going to see some things, but we're also going to see some wrinkles. Uh, one thing is when you, when you kind of had a mini season, like Iona had where you had, you know, eight games played, you saw some good things, saw some bad things. You, you can almost reinvent yourself a little bit. So now everybody expects Iona to come back and be the Gist and Ross show. Um, and I don't know if you're going to see that. I, I think you might see something a little different when you come back. Not that they're going to change their persona completely. I mean, they're still going to go as Ross makes threes and as Gist goes to the basket and all of that. But I, I would not be surprised to see them look a little different in some facet. Talking to Guy Salatico, IonaHoops.com podcast, also an Iona season ticket holder, but more on the media side this season. And you mentioned Isaiah Ross leading the Mac in scoring, Asante Gist making the motor run at the point guard spot, but Dylan Van Eyck is in the top 10 in rebounding and assists. He's become more of a complete player. And some of Iona's younger players too, Nelly Jr. Joseph, Ryan Myers as well. Barrett John Louis is leading the conference in steals. Among these newcomers, Guy, who has brought the most to the table, do you feel? And what impresses you most about some of the newer contingent that Patino was able to bring the New Rochelle largely sight unseen? Well, I'm going to start with Nelly because, right, as of this moment, even though Iona hasn't been out there in seven weeks, um, if the season ended today, I think Nelly Jr. Joseph is still the MAC uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, and, you know, it was funny when right before the season, Patino appeared somewhere, I forgot where, where and, and made a comment that Nelly was their best recruit coming in or something like that. And a lot of Iona fans like, huh, what? And the guy's not even on campus, you know? Uh, and then he, the kid shows up and he just produces right out of the gate. Um, just looks so advanced for his uh, for his age in terms of his footwork and uh, his IQ. Uh, he doesn't really play over his head. He doesn't try to do too much. I mean, that's maturity beyond his years uh, there a bit. So that's a pleasant surprise. Now, granted, he played. He was kind of forced into this role because the guy who was getting all the all the preseason pub was Osborne Shima, who um, still we're not quite sure how healthy he is. Um, we kept hearing February, February he'll be back. Well, now we're in February, um, so we'll see if he's here. And then, of course, there's the other variable of Trey James, the uh, Kentucky high schooler who was added to the roster uh, in time for this semester. Of course, then we had another delay. Uh, but uh, so here's another big six ten, six eleven kid. Um, so there's more minutes to be shared there. So Iona's going to go bigger, I think. And I think you'll see something like a Dylan Van Eyck maybe even slide over and be at, be at the three a little bit more than what we've seen so far. Um, but speaking of the three, <laughs> um, I love, love Eric Jean-Louis. Um, the energy he brings. Now, he's one of those guys you're going to look at his stats and it's like, eh, you know, whatever. But you, then you have to look at all of the stats. You know, forget scoring put that aside, but look at all the other little stuff he does. Um, and he just makes the team better. He's got such a motor. Um, and he's, I mean, Patino said something about him on Twitter a couple of days back. Um, just, I mean, so he, he and, and Nelly were the, are the two that have really joined the starters that were returning that we knew were going to be solid players. And that's that starting five core. And now it's just, who else is going to jump in? You mentioned Myers. I like to see him and Chavez. And these guys have been kind of off and on, had moments. But, you know, you're hoping that uh, they can get a little more out of some of these guys in terms of – and they're going to need it. They're going to need the depth. You mentioned Barrett Jean-Louis, and you also mentioned Nelly Jr. Joseph and elaborated more on him. He's reminiscent almost of a freshman, sophomore year, Ramel Brown. And it's funny that Manhattan is the next opponent for Iona. 
and Steve Massiello being a former Patino assistant running almost a similar system. Do you think, Guy, now that you mentioned Iona possibly going a little bigger, do you think that plays more into the Gales' hands against a smaller, more undersized Manhattan lineup with a tendency to foul more often? I think so, and I'm curious to see what Patino does defensively. Does Iona become more aggressive now that they have more bodies in the front court to, to press, you know, you can press more with the guards knowing that, Oh, okay. If Nelly gets a second foul in the second, in the, in the first half, well, okay, we'll put in Trey James, you know, it's okay. We have somebody else to put in now rather than having to slide uh, Van Eyck to the five and be undersized. Um, or do we play, you know, a really big zone, you know, uh, you know, what do we want to do? You know, it can go a lot of different directions with that. Um, and that's why I'm saying, I think we might see some different wrinkles out of Patino that we didn't see, uh, in those first handful of games when, you know, with 51 days in between, you certainly can add some elements, even though you're shut down a lot of that time, you certainly can play with the X's and O's and add some elements. And, um, again, what, you know, I think you're going to see some things that you saw, but you're going to see some different things too. So, um, Maziello can't just rely on the tape. <laughs> and to follow that up is playing Maziello first game back off the layoff of blessing in the skies for this team. I think it helps in that, you know, the, well, if you ask, if you ask, I mean, Iona have had ups and downs on both ends of the floor. Certainly the defensive energy was there. The numbers may not have always been there in terms of field goal percentage defense, which, you know, I love, um, I, you know, we, we all know that the, that system loves the deflections and the steals and all that. Some of those numbers were good. Um, offensively, they were a little streaky, kind of re- a little reliant on making threes um, and, and whether Nelly was getting involved offensively. Um, so I'm, you know, when you play Manhattan, you're not going to get lit up. It's just not who the Jaspers are. They're not going to come in and put up 80 on us. It's just the amount now, how, how will Iona's offense uh, evolve against a Manhattan defense that, you know, I mean, Patino knows what he's going to do. <laughs> You'd like to think. So how do you, how does he attack it? Who's going to be that guy in the high post that always seems to, uh, you know, like that EJ Crawford did for the last four years uh, in terms of hurting the Jaspers on that end of the floor where that high low game setting up is, is it Van Eyck? Is he tailor made to do that? Or does Mazzillo change his, his approach a little bit to try to take that away? Who knows? It could be Van Eyck and Manhattan also has a scoring point guard now in Anthony Nelson, as we're talking to Guy Filatico, Ionahoops.com podcast, previewing the Gales and the Jaspers and shedding some further light on, Iona's season within a season, so to speak, and it could be a second season now, given the length of the 51-day layoff between December 23rd and February 12th, assuming that these games do get played. And as of right now, as of the time of recording, all indications are that they will. Guy, you look at the Mac right now, and everything is upside down, which is, I guess, normal for this conference and what we've seen over the last decade. But when you look at the standings, Monmouth at 10 and 4, Siena at 8 and 2, and with the new tiebreakers for this season, where if one team doesn't play the full 20 games and it's looking like more than one team won't have that option right now, the field will be set by total conference wins. And Iona gets the short end of the stick in tiebreakers right now as the 11 seed being in the bottom of a three way tie with Canisius and Quinnipiac, both of whom have better wins against teams Iona has yet to play. How do you see the match shaping out guy over the last three weeks of the regular season and how much chaos is there going to be before we even get to Atlantic city? You know, I joked about this uh, online that um, Iona winning the Mac out of the 11 seed would be the most Mac thing ever. 
Um, but yeah, I said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I would, um, I, I'm going to, you know, a lot of people like to attack the Mac for many reasons, um, even if its own fans, which I find amazing sometimes. But um, I actually think that Enter and company have done a fantastic job. I mean, they had the foresight to put a plan in place before the season started that to me, and I know others disagree, especially our friends from the uh, capital region. Uh, uh, that makes sense. It, it's, it's rewarding teams that were able to get on the court and play um, and win as much as they could. And yeah, Iona can look up and be nine and one or whatever at the end of the regular season and not be in first place. Will that be frustrating that they're not doing it by winning percentage at that point? Yeah. But I understand why it's being done the way it was and why they decided this before the season started. It makes more sense. Um, so between that and the way they've had to just reschedule every weekend, um, I think the Mac deserves a lot of credit and I've actually had this argument with many people who are uh, in disagreement with me on that. Um, so I don't have a problem with it. I mean, the, the, the cream's still going to rise. And, you know, at this point, it's hard to see anybody besides Monmouth or Sienna finishing first. And really, the seeds don't matter. We, we The Mac's always been that way where the seeds almost don't matter. But it's also more so this year than ever before, because, again, you're going to have an Iona team that we know is not one of the bottom six teams in the Mac yet. We'll, pro we'll almost certainly finish there. Um, because of the win total, um, they just won't have a time to amass enough wins to get out of there. And also the Mac did them no favors are playing a pretty tough slate of uh, games the rest of the way. Um, they're not exactly playing cupcakes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how far I can get up the standings, but really to me, the big issue is if the Mac tournament was to be scrapped, um, Sienna or Monmouth probably would be the one seed. That team would probably be then chosen to represent the Mac and the NCAs. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with that because that team would have won the most games. So, uh, and, and I think the standings are pretty true in that respect. You know, at least, you know, that if that the worst happens, we are going to send one of our best teams there. So it would be nothing like last year where the debate between Iona and Sienna and who the real Mac champion was. <laughs> it's now I actually joked with this too, but it's true. I mean, obviously this whole season's a mess. So to me, the whole season still gets an asterisk because it wasn't played out the normal way. Uh, and even if Iona for some out of win, I would still, it's, I mean, I'm going to count it of course, but I'm just saying that we've been joking with our friends from Sienna that last year didn't count uh, because they never finished the tournament here. We never like really finished the regular season. So it's just kind of the same argument. So we'll, I don't have a real problem with it as I really the, the whole, the hope that I have is that all 11 teams can get and get, get to play. Um, I'm hoping we don't see a situation where a Fairfield sees itself really low in the standings. They're going to get a low seed and they say, you know what? We're not going to go to the Atlantic city. The hell with it. I hope we don't see things like that. I hope all 11 teams go. I would like to see the same thing. And then that would, that would be good for the game. Good for the conference too. We're talking to guy Philatico. I own a hoops.com podcast and guy, I'll shift gears a little bit here through the first three months of this season. Is the aspect of Rick Pitino coaching at Iona still surreal? Like what is the biggest difference in how you've approached this program now compared to the last decade under Tim Cluse? Does it still catch your eye? Like, holy crap, Pitino's still co Pitino's coaching at Iona. Well, I mean, it's obvious that uh, we were in a position to get him and we're able to pull it off, which is certainly a credit 
uh, to Matt Glavosky and, and, uh, and everybody else at Iona who made that happen. And it's funny now if, when you, when you, if you put in the, the, the words Patino into Twitter and just search for it, anytime a big school loses now, it's like, we, we, we should go get Patino. He's only at Iona. We should just go get him. You know, and it's funny because now the floodgates are open and it's like, oh, well, if Iona hired him, it must be okay to bring him back. So, you know, everybody who had trashed Iona early on for making such a, a, a basketball related uh, decision, um, uh, you know, sold its soul to win and all of that, you know, everybody's going to want to make a move on Patino. Any program that loses its coach right now is going to think they should have Patino, especially if they're in a major conference. I mean, and it's really funny. Every school does it. Uh, and, I've, and I've looked at it religiously because I think it's hilarious. And I, you know, of course, there's 10 million reasons why it's not, it's not such an easy and done deal that Patino will leave after this year. Um, now that's, I bring that up facetiously, but there's truth to it. I mean, the bottom line is this year was, and it is a scare, a scary thing that I have in my back of my head is that the way this season has gone has fall apart. God forbid we go on another shutdown and we decide to end the season. He barely will have been here and it'll be easier for him to listen to other people. So that scares me a bit. So I'm praying right now that we don't have any more stoppages. We can go through the rest of the season. We can make some noise, if, if not win the MAC tournament, and let him know that he made the right move to come here. And he's built a roster that's only going to be better next year. Um, and, and it's doubly better if, the, if he decides to bring back Ross and Guest, which I don't know if will happen or not, but it, it's been rumored. I mean, because of the way this season's gone, that you can certainly approach those guys and make a case to bring them back. Um, it, it is still surreal. Um, I still think there's a lot of hatred for Patino out there um, and a lot of disrespect because they think he cheated the game. Um, until we see that proof, I'm, I'm not with that. I know people are thinking I'm just being an Iona fanboy on that one. You know what? I still have, I have faith in the choices that my college made and I'm more than just a fan. I've been, I've served on the uh, alumni board of directors multiple times. Uh, I have a stake in this, in the future of the college. And um, I respect the people who made the decisions they made to bring him on and the choices they made. And I think it's bringing uh, a, a nice big spotlight onto the school. And we're seeing, we're seeing it in different ways, not just on the basketball court. And I've had similar conversations where people have said, do you think Patino will leave, especially after how this season's gone? I happen to think this will motivate him even more to stay another year or two and prove that he can win at a place like Iona where he said he would coach the length of his contract. And I, I think, and I've said this many times on the record, the best you can do right now is take him at his word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's no way to know. I mean, it's been, it's been questioned by those outside of Iona all along. Oh, he's only going to be the area year. There's no way he's staying. As soon as he gets a big offer, he's gone. You know, but these are the same people that said this guy can't get a job anywhere else. That's why he chose he chose Iona. So, you know, uh, it was, well, I don't believe that either. So I, I you know, there's no way to know. But, you know, we're Patino is also set financially right now. I mean, he's also living in a big house on one of the most prestigious golf courses in one of the most prestigious counties uh, in the country. Um, why, you know, start over somewhere else in a, in a different community and, 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 you know, you don't know where he wants to go or what his plans are. And maybe he is being very sincere that he's getting up there in age and hell, he just, he had about a COVID himself and, and, you know, maybe that's something that's like a reminder to him that of his age and he just wants to stick it out here and, 
build something. He, he knew that this first year wasn't going to be a great year. And he's building toward more of that second and third year here where he thinks when all of his players are in place that this team could be special. Um, so let's see if that's true. I mean, and again, uh, with the way this year is gone, you know, all, he really hasn't been able to implement a lot of things that he would like to, but we are seeing the roster turnover. We're seeing big, big, and bigger being brought in. Uh, and he just wants to just outlength everybody out there in the Mac. And that's, and I'm curious to see uh, what happens. And, and I, I'm excited as well. Talking to Guy Philatico, Ionahoops.com podcast. One more from us guy here on Friday and Saturday as Iona plays Manhattan. Keys to victory for the Gales. What does this team need to do against Jaspers, both Friday and Saturday at the Heinz Center to come away victorious, either in a split or a sweep to get closer to the top of the Mac and gain some kind of ground, any kind of ground going into Atlantic City? Well, uh, on the offensive end, you have to value the ball against Manhattan. That's how you play them. Um, you attack that high post. Somebody like Van Eyck is going to be key. He's going to get fed that ball in the post. And I want to know what Manhattan's going to do to stop that. Um, you're going to see a little bit of high low. I have a feeling with Nelly and Van Eyck. They both handle well for bigs. They both pass well. They don't really, neither is really turnover prone. Um, but Iona as a team is kind of turnover prone. So that's something to watch. You know, um, you also can't just you know, have Ross score 25 and everybody else score five. You know, you need to have a balanced attack. To, to, that's how you play Manhattan. Um, so I think ball movement, protecting and valuing the ball, spreading the wealth on the offense. Um, on the defensive end, you know, I, I think, I think you just, uh, it'll be interesting to see who Barrick Jean-Louis guards. He's been the guy who draws the assignment against the other team's best weapon. Do you put him on Nelson? Uh, do you put him on your, on your, uh, your, your shot man, <laughs> Samir, uh, you know, who, who do you, who do you put him on? It'll be interesting to see. Uh, and then how do they handle uh, the big guy inside without getting the suit? I mean, we have the fouls now to distribute and he's an okay to fight guy to foul. But do you, um, how many, you know, do you, how do you play that? Do you, do you, do you want to put them on the line all day or do you, do you have a different kind of plan to deny him the ball? It'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm more worried about the ion on the offensive end than the defensive end for the reasons I gave earlier. Manhattan's just not an explosive offensive team that's just going to come in and, you know, shoot, you know, 55, 60% on you and drop 80 on you. It's just, um, it's more of the other, it's more of can Iona outgrind them? And I think they can. Guy Filatico, IonaHoops.com podcast, Iona Insider, previewing the Gales and the Jaspers this weekend in New Rochelle. Guy, thanks again for coming on, spending some time with us, and I'll be sure to return the favor going into Atlantic City. It sounds great. Uh, I look forward to that as well. Uh, it's been a weird uh, scheduling, and you and I have talked a few times about coming, you coming back on my podcast as well. And uh, <laughs> because of all the cancellations, we've kind of had to postpone and postpone and postpone. Uh, but yeah, like you said, we're what, three weeks, four weeks out from the Mac tournament. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely get together, uh, again and, uh, and share some fun insights. So hopefully, like I said, all 11 teams can stay healthy and actually participate and it'll be, you know, even whether we're there physically or not, it's still great to, a great event to be witness of. And I'm looking forward to seeing that and talking about it with you. Absolutely. Guy, always a pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you. Jaden Daly back with you on the Daily Dose of Hoops podcast, second half of episode number six. And after we had Guy Philatico on earlier to preview Iona and Manhattan, Guy does a great job with his own podcast on ionahoops.com. 
We'll bring in someone also connected to the Iona community, but a man of many talents, Fox Sports and ESPN and SNY college basketball analyst among his many hats. Also dips into the pool on St. John's radio broadcasts with John Minko. The one and only Vin Parisi joins us on the podcast. Vin, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with us. Jaden, thanks so much for having me on, my man. Anytime, anytime. And we'll get into Iona and Manhattan again. You're calling the second game of the series on Saturday in New Rochelle, the Heinz Athletic Center. And I asked Guy earlier today when I had him on the 51-day layoff that Iona is going to be navigating between December 23rd, its last game against Coppin State, and Friday when the ball goes up in the air against Manhattan, assuming all goes well between the time of recording and the opening tip. Does the familiarity for Rick Pitino with Steve Massiello in Manhattan, obviously the rich history between the two of them, and knowing to an extent the system that Pitino's Iona team is going to face, does that ease the process a little bit, do you feel, in terms of preparation? Well, you know, from a, from a, from a system uh, preparation standpoint, uh, Jaden, I, I definitely think that, you know, especially defensively, I mean, they're, they're going to know each other. They're going to know each other's styles. Um, you know, obviously, Iona has a little bit more of a, a recent sample size and as a whole uh, to work with in terms of preparation on Manhattan film than the Jaspers have uh, on Iona. It's, it's just remarkable that it's about to be, you know, the middle of the month in February and the Gales haven't played a basketball game since December 23rd, which just, you know, it's just one example as to how challenging this COVID season has been. Um, but, you know, Steve Massiello has always coached, uh, is similar in many ways to his mentor, Rick Pitino. He's never been shy about that. He's never swayed from that. Um, but they, they're, they're different in some ways as well. Um, I, I think the emotion behind it um, would, would, definitely, and, uh, would definitely shine through more if we were in a normal season, if we were in a season where, um, you know, we were, it was an Iona Manhattan terrific crowd and either Nourishelle or Riverdale and, and the press coverage and the emotion of, of Stevie, you know, going, you know, against his former board, boss and mentor for the first time since that NCAA tournament game when he was at Manhattan. But I honestly think right now, especially if you're Iona, you know, you're just trying to weather the storm here and, and see how you look in the first half. I, I mean, I've talked to the coaching staff and, you know, it's it's a challenge. It, it, it's a challenge because there's there's the lag time of being out as being quarantined, and then there's several days to get the guys' legs back and and get themselves back into the gym. Because as you know, there's so many restrictions when you're out in quarantine throughout the process. Um, listen, I mean, I'm not saying shots can't drop and, and they shoot the ball well early, but I, I do think that you're going to need to see a few media timeouts before they get their legs underneath them. I wouldn't be surprised if they have to sub early and, and some guys are winded. Um, but listen, you know, this, I, I have this being a defensive, you know, war. I wouldn't be surprised if it's low scoring, especially at the half um, because of the fact that Iona has to get their, uh, you know, legs back underneath them. They, they, they got to let, start letting it come to them. 
Uh, December 23rd is a long time not to play against anybody else. And because of how hard Manhattan plays uh, defensively. And, you know, and they, they scrap and work and claw and, and make you work as well. And as you know, they're not known as a, you know, up and down, high powered, uh, you know, offense right now. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a grinded out war for both ends of it. But, you know, you, you're, you are going to see some similarities, especially on the defensive end from both coaching staff and squads. And you look across the bench at Manhattan, Vin having lost four straight and five of six after the sweep against Niagara, lost two hard-fought games to St. Peter's and then two to Monmouth by a grand total of seven points, a five-point game last Friday and then a two-point overtime game last Saturday. But you look at this year's Manhattan team, obviously Anthony Nelson among the MAC leaders in scoring, Warren Williams is second in the MAC in rebounds, Elijah Buchanan and Samba Diallo have really picked up as of late at the three and four spots. And then you have Samir Stewart playing off the ball. What are the biggest keys to victory for this Manhattan team going against a rival who hasn't played in a month and a half, but still has a formidable squad. If you're Steve Massiello, then what do you focus on? Well, I think, yeah, and you said it, you know, Beth, and you know the Mac as well as anybody in the in the area media-wise. You know, you Anthony Nelson has to play well. You know, the, this league has always been predicated on perimeter players, and you know, it, it starts at every position, but especially in this conference and league, is you know who who who's your engine and, and who gets you going. Um, and I, I do think that Steve Masiello has keys offensively. I think. Uh, the George Mason transfer, uh, Douglas Stanley from Mount Vernon. I think he's a better shooter than his numbers. Uh, and I think Stevie has multiple guys that are better shooters than their numbers, as you can see. I mean, they, you know, they, they'll, they'll take 25 to 33s uh, in, in each of these games. And, you know, knowing the type of coach Stevie is, the guys would not have this type of green light uh, if he didn't trust them to make it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a unique season and it's a unique year. You know, guys are, are not in rhythm as much guys practices as, you know, have not been on a regular schedule. Um, you know, but they'll, they'll go up and down, they'll spread you, they'll kick you. And, you know, they run a lot of duck in plays for Warren Williams down low. Um, but if you're Stevie, I, I think you have to defend the heck out of Iona, especially on the perimeter. As Gale fans, you know, they love the big fella Nelly inside, and, and they're coming along along the baseline. Um, you know, they've battled some injuries. They have some youth there, you know, with their front line. But, uh, and you know it, uh, when Iona's played well this year, you know, whether it was their showing until the latter part of the game at Seton Hall, whether it was the big road win against Hofstra, uh, you know, they shoot the basketball well from the perimeter. They got multiple guys making threes. And Isaiah Ross uh, is really playing terrific on the perimeter. I, I think perimeter defense uh, is going to be where Steve Massiello really uh, hones in. I mean, they'll play about two-thirds uh, of a aggressive 2-3 zone, uh, like Patino used to play with Louisville, to where it looks like they're matched up, and then we'll switch to man-to-man at times. You know, and then the other third of the game, it's just an aggressive, really hard man-to-man. They're not afraid to press, as we know. Um, so I think he's really going to focus in on the defensive end of the ball and, and making life difficult and wearing down 
uh, Iona's guards and, and trying to take advantage of their youth. Talking to Vim Parisi, college basketball analyst for Fox Sports, SNY, and ESPN3, previewing the Iona Manhattan weekend series up in New Rochelle. And Vin, you mentioned Iona and the 51 day layoff, and we'll get into another program that was affected by a recent COVID shutdown, one that you deal with in your work at SNY, and that's UConn, the Huskies, with two mm-hmm. losses Saturday against Seton Hall, in which the Pirates jumped on them at the start, and really UConn wasn't able to, to recover. They got within two in the second half before Seton Hall was able to pull away again down the stretch. And then again, Wednesday afternoon against Providence, Ed Cooley and the Friars picking up a big win. You've been around both programs over the years, and you know Dan Hurley well from his time at Rhode Island as well. How big yeah. is that game Wednesday, Vin, for both teams in a sense of Providence getting its season back on track and also UConn getting more of an in-game experience and getting their legs under them in terms of trying to play for NCAA tournament seeding. Who benefited the most from that game, do you feel? Well, in terms of benefiting the most, most I definitely think it starts with Providence. I mean, to say that the Friars needed a win going into that matchup against the Huskies at alumni is probably the biggest understatement of their season. If Providence dropped this one on Wednesday, um, you know, they were really looking uh, at the bottom of the league standings, especially the way other teams in the league are playing right now um, in the middle of the pack, like a St. John's who's, you know, red hot, even though they just dropped a tough one, no T, but um, the Friars desperately uh, needed that win. Uh, I still think that David Duke uh, could break out and, and let loose at any time. Uh, I feel that David Duke's game uh, would be at, uh, you know, as good as he's been so often this season. I think it would be at another level if Bynum uh, would have been healthy. I think that Moore fell on his shoulders this year and, you know, probably held him back in some ways because the burden of the offense was on him more. Uh, Nate Watson's been a beast, but, you know, there's been games to where their defense has lacked and, and Ed Cooley hasn't had that secondary support. Uh, for UConn, as you mentioned, you know, when they're healthy and they're clicking on all cylinders, you know, they could play with anybody in this conference and league right now. And, you know, I right now for what Dan Hurley's going through, it almost reminds me, you'll probably remember the breakout, the year before the breakout year, um, where there were high expectations, um, but they went 17 and 15. And then the next mm-hmm. year they were off and running with 20-something wins, NCAA tournament wins, and it was because that they had a huge injury. And he, he wasn't totally healthy. And, and then when he got healthy, they were really cooking. And right now it is you, – you cannot fully evaluate UConn basketball with an unhealthy James Booknight. I mean, this guy is a, a, a future star uh, in this league. He's already on NBA scouts radar. So, you know, I, I think eventually uh, you're going to see Dan Hurley. He has youth uh, with the big fella, Sonogo, talent inside. Um, but, you know, especially when you fast forward 12 months from now, next season, uh, you're not going to see any head coach in that league uh, happy about having to face the Huskies. You raised an excellent point, Vin, and I 
don't know how any of us didn't think of this before. Very apt comparison between James Booknight being injured and Rhode Island with EC Matthews having gone down for the year and the season opener yep. and the Rams not yep. being at full at full strength. Excellent point by you there. And it, it is very similar. And you see that with UConn where the loss of Booknight and Dan Hurley even said it after the St. John's game a couple of weeks ago where his team is going to need to keep games in the high 60s, low 70s in order to have a shot because he just doesn't have the offensive firepower around him fully developed yet. So that, that is yeah, an excellent and, point. And, yeah, and and also remember that, you know, UConn right now um, is following the blueprint as to what Danny did at URI. And, and if anything, it's even more so because – of Sonogo and, 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 and the talent that Danny has, you know, along the baseline, you know, from when he signed the cook of cook, when he got to stores, Connecticut, I mean, it, it's, it's perimeter. It's multiple guys that could hurt you on the perimeter, but you, we've even seen it when UConn's been undermanned this year, at the end of the day, Dan Hurley, you know, like his hall of fame, dad, like his brother. I mean, it's defense first. And we've seen it this season. I think you will see it as long uh, as Dan Hurley is at UConn is that the Huskies are always going to be a top the league leaders in terms of team defensive categories. So, you know, it, it's never going to be an easy out uh, when you go against the Huskies. I'm talking to Vin Parisi, college basketball analyst for Fox Sports, SNY, ESPN, St. John's radio analyst with John Minko. And we'll get into the Red Storm along with the other high major locals in the area, all three with favorable NCAA tournament prospects. Even St. John's coming off an overtime loss at Hinkle Fieldhouse against Butler, where the Bulldogs came back from a 16-point deficit and found their way to a victory to end a six-game St. John's winning streak. Seton Hall has done very well as well. In the absence of Miles Powell, Kevin Willard has found a way to keep it rolling. And even Rutgers, even after a loss Wednesday night at Iowa against the Hawkeyes team that was in a similar situation to what Rutgers went through two weeks ago in Indiana, desperate in a slump and in need of a win. Steve Peichel still has the Scarlet Knights forwardly placed in at seven and seven in big 10 play in one of the stronger leads in the country. Rutgers still has an NCAA tournament resume. You look at all three of the high major locals, Vin, and their tournament prospects, which one has the best chance going forward and how would you rate all three? to this point through the first three months of the year? Well, you know, you, you, you bring up a good, you, you, you bring up a good um, point with Rutgers. And to me, you know, I, I would feel very, very good about the next few weeks if I was Steve Peichel. And, and it's not because just because of the resume that you uh, alluded to. It's the fact that, you know, these kids have had experience winning. These kids do not, uh, feel inferior anymore. This ball club can feel they could play with anybody in the Big Ten on any night, and they've proven it. And I think that that would even be at another level if they were truly able to last year in 2020 enjoy, um, you know, the first NCAA tournament appearance in three decades because they would have even had more experience under their belt. But you know, the the Scarlet Knights hold the, their destiny in their hands. You know, they're not a club to where they need a lot, a lot of things to go right. Um, I think they take care of it at the defensive end. As long as they stay healthy, you know, I would not be surprised at all 
Um, if you see Steve Peichel, you know, with this team playing its best basketball at the end of February, beginning of March. Now, St. John's is an interesting one because, first off, Mike Anderson's done a terrific job there, and he he, you know, has the utmost respect for what he's done this season. By you know, when when I talk to other coaching staffs and other head coaches within the league, but what St. John's reminds me of this year, Jaden, is. You know, when when you were in the old Big East and, you know, when I was on the staff at Rutgers, when you had to play Syracuse, you know, it wasn't, yes, of course, the comparison is different because, you know, Syracuse was always top 25 and Syracuse always had future NBA stars, but it was about the style and the preparation. And it was about the fact that those two or three days when you were getting ready to play the Orange, you almost sacrificed half of your practice plan of your stuff because you were spending so much time on your zone offense, because you were playing a unique style that no one else in the league played. Nobody else played zone a hundred percent of the time for 40 minutes. And that was a big reason. If you remember why Syracuse, in my opinion, won the 2003 national championship because they played multiple big 12 teams, Texas, Kansas teams that never saw zone before And obviously, you know, along with having Carmelo Anthony, that was one of the biggest factors. Mike Anderson, there's a lot of guys that like to defend you in the full court. There's a lot of guys that like to say they press, but there's not a lot of teams that live and die and truly believe in the 40 minutes of hell. And that that style wears you down. I mean, Villanova only has turned the basketball over eight or nine times a game the entire season. And you saw the way they were throwing the ball all over corner second when they got the big win. It's it's tough to simulate that in practice with walk-ons in your scout team and going against that. So when you have a unique style that the kids have bought into the way they have in Queens, you could bump off anybody. Now, could the Johnnies have a cold shooting streak? and get bounced in the first round of the NCAA tournament, of course. We've seen them struggle at times on the perimeter. However, if you told me that St. John's made it to the Big East Championship game and was playing for the right to go to the NCAA tournament, um, or if they even exceeded being on the bubble, I wouldn't be surprised because that is how hard they played defensively. Now it's just a matter of who's going to compliment Champagny on the, on the offensive end and, you know, how you shoot the basketball and play offensively. So the, the Johnnies are, are the scariest uh, matchup to me, especially when the Big East tournament comes around. But the team that I really, really like as February turns into March is Kevin Willard's Seton Hall team. And, and, and you know, I, I feel like it took a while for people to really accept it in the area. That usually happens when you lose a megastar like they did in Miles Powell. But Kevin Willard has all of the ingredients for a team. And I don't care what bracketology says right now because we're not even halfway through February. I'm talking about the ingredients and the boxes that they check. They have size. They have length. They rebound the ball. They defend you. They have multiple defensive looks. They have veterans. They have guys with experience. They have perimeter play, and they have a star player in Mamu Kelishvili. So when you have a star, you have a stud, and and he's healthy and not in foul trouble, and and he's a matchup nightmare, 
And as we all know, Kevin Willard could X and O with any coach in the country. Uh, I really, really think that not enough people are talking about Seton Hall uh, for being a legit threat come March. And this would be the first time that Seton Hall has gone to five consecutive NCAA tournaments. Kevin Willard really making his own legacy and enhancing it in South Orange in the shadow of Bill Raftery and the shadow of P.J. Carlissimo. And he's been around 11 years. It's hard to believe that he was a fresh-faced 34-year-old when he got the job in 2010, and now he's become one of the I, elder listen, in the it, Big East. <laughs> it feels like yesterday when he was 32 years old and I was working for him at Iona. But, you know, obviously Kevin has learned, you know, from the best and Coach Patino, and, and his dad was a fantastic uh, coach in, 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 in basketball, mine, Ralph Willard. Um, but you know, he, he is really what, what, what he's done there and what he's done in terms of player development. Um, you know, miles Powell was an all American last season and it's not like they beat out blue bloods to get him. And, uh, Sandro Mamu Kelishvili, uh, I, I, I think was barely ranked in the top two or 300, uh, high school prospects four years ago. And you know, look at what he's turned into. I mean, this this is a this is a staple of their program of of getting guys better. Steve Peichel has done it at Rutgers. Um, Mike Anderson has done it at St. John's. You know, if you're a local college basketball junkie, you know the the fact that these guys are leading these programs right now, especially knowing that the metropolitan area, you know, has has had some rough times as well. I mean, this is an exciting time uh, to be a Rutgers, St. John's, or Seton Hall fan. Talking to Vin Parisi, college basketball analyst, Fox Sports, SNY, ESPN. And on a sad note, the entire basketball community, especially here in the tri-state, mourned the loss of a legend this past Monday in Tom Kinchowski, who passed away at the age of 74 after a battle with cancer. If you knew anyone, anyone who is anyone in New York basketball, especially here in the city, knew of Tom and had some kind of interaction. In fact, Vin, you were the one who introduced him to me back in 2011 at a, at a Steve Lavin pregame press conference at St. John's. One of the few times I got, wow. I got to interact with Tom over the years. And he, he was just... Everything you heard about him in the last few days. And, I, and I'm true. sure he remembered your name every time he saw you after that. Yes, he did. May he, may, he, may he rest in peace. And a man who, much like myself, for those who don't know, used Max Transit to get around just about everywhere. So we had a similar kinship there. But over the years, Vin, you had far more and far greater interactions with him than I did. What are some memories that stand out with the glider and those who impacted he impacted? Well, I remember the first time meeting him. Uh, I must have been either a freshman or or a sophomore, Um, you know, working in the athletic department, um, you know, at at Iona College. And it was Mulcahy Gymnasium at the time. And it was it was, you know, the mid to late 90s. We were hosting something uh, for the Catholic League. I don't know if it was the semifinals or something like that. And obviously, Konchowski was in the house. And, you know, growing up as, you know, a kid in the 80s and 90s, I had, you know, I read the five-star book about him and Garf and everything. So I went up and I introduced myself. And I remember coming away from that um, just being, you know, 
so impressed with the fact that here's a, you know, a, a 19 year old, you know, team manager in the Mac that wants to get into college coaching. And, you know, he took the time to talk to me like I was John Calipari. There was no difference than any of the other big time coaches that were coming up and saying hello to him. And I probably didn't see him for another five or six years, uh, whether I was at Fairleigh Dickinson, Rutgers, or even, you know, starting on the road at Iona at the time and remembered my name. And, you know, then obviously saw him all the time out on the road during the AAU recruiting circuit, but just, you know, just like the stories that everyone else has had, you know, just remarkable. Um, He created an industry and and created a career that didn't exist before he did. Um, There'll never be another HSBI. There'll never be another Konchowski. And the amount of kids, um, you know, that he's helped in his life, um, you know, I I know that he was up when went straight up to heaven in a nanosecond. So truly one of the all-time best. And, and, And the tributes these last couple of days you know what a what a legacy to the game of hoops. No, no doubt, Tom Kinchowski's passing will be felt for years to come, and they don't they don't make them like him anymore, Vin. And it's just sad to see. John John Feinstein had another tribute earlier this week, and Seth Davis even called him the last honest man in the gym, and I I think that is so true. I, I really do. Yeah. And then there's just, and, and just the wide array of, you know, you don't really realize until you really start hearing all of these tributes, you know, how, you know, how amazing, besides being such a great person, just how amazing he was at his job. I mean, you know, college coaching now, you know, 90% of recruiting, it's, it's because somebody told somebody about somebody else before their eyes you know, see the prospect, you know, in the flesh, uh, for their own. Um, but, you know, Tom Konchowski, you know, knew that Chris Mullen, uh, was, was, was destined for a bright future when he was in seventh grade. When, when you hear Chris Mullen talk about him, you know, he, he, he drafted Brendan Malone's team for him at, at five-star camp, um, uh, back in the late seventies and, and Brendan Malone wanted Tom to pick another guard. And, you know, Brendan Malone, I think had his wife had a, a bicycle accident. She was getting stitches or something. So he showed up later that night. He, he said to Kachowski, you picked that kid I wanted, right? And Tom said, no, Brendan, I took someone else for you. And Brendan Malone got all mad and he wound up picking Michael Jordan for him, uh, you know, as like a, as like a 10th or an 11th grader. Um, you know, Tom Kachowski was one of the, was the first person to tell people that, you know, LeBron James might go on to be one of the best ever. And, you know, people were saying what best ever in Ohio. They said, no, no, one of the best ever. And, you know, the, these stories you're hearing about, you know, what this guy was able to foresee for the future of prospects, but he had just as much passion for helping, you know, the, the, the eighth man on a team get a division three scholarship. You know, and that was the beauty of Tom is that he wasn't caught up into all that stuff. He turned down so many opportunities to put his scouting service, you know, online and into a website and, and a podcast on a YouTube channel and investors wanted to pay him big time money. And 
he never deviated from it. And, and I remember when I used to open up the mail in the, at the basketball office and, you know, when, when his report came, it was in that big yellow envelope with no computer label on it. He hand wrote out on the envelope right to your office uh, that report that was coming. It's just, you know, so remarkable that there won't be another Tom K. And his alma mater, Fordham, is looking for a new leader as well. The Rams, with Mike DePauli as the interim head coach after Jeff Neubauer departed the program early in January. Some names have been thrown around, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes on the podcast. Jared Grasso, Shaheen Holloway are names that have come up more frequently than others. Vin, you look at the situation at Fordham a long dormant mid-major, but you have the New York footprint. You have a league like the Atlantic 10 and a young athletic director, Ed Cole, who you and I know from his time at St. John's and his work as a great fundraiser. You look at the net that he's casting. What other candidates do you see possibly being mentioned now here in February? And where do you think the Rams ultimately turn? Well, here, here's a couple of things and, and my thoughts on Fordham right now. I, I agree with you. I think it's an exciting time when your uh, flagship sport has a, has a head coach opening and when you have a new, you know, young and dynamic up and coming, you know, AD in the area that a lot of people like and a lot of people respect. Uh, but I do know this is that uh, Ed is going to be thorough. Um, and yeah, I've seen some names thrown out there right now, but you know what, those, those are just some names thrown out by, you know, uh, us knucklehead, uh, local media members. Sometimes I, I do know this is that they're going to take their time with it. I know that there's a committee being formed on campus. I know that a search firm will most likely be involved. I think that they're going to take their time with the process. I think that you're going to hear. Uh, several uh, people uh, uh, that wind up interviewing there. And I wouldn't be surprised um, if you hear some, you know, outside the box names and, and, and two or three names emerge that aren't on that list that you said. You know, he, here's the thing right now with Fordham is you have to hire the right guy, not the name that, you know, you may see everywhere. You got to hire the right guy, the way Steve Peichel was the right guy for Rutgers, the way Kevin Willard was the right guy, you know, for Seton Hall. And, and, and my, the last thing I'll say, Jaden, with this is, and, and I know you've heard it a lot as well. Ah, oh, you, you know, Rose Hill, it's like a high school. Ah, oh, you can't win big at Fordham. Ah, oh, you can't win. You know what? If you have the right guy and the right staff in place, I, I truly believe you could win anywhere. Um, I, I cannot even tell you how many times I've heard that you can't win at Seton Hall. Uh, and Kevin Willard had a final four caliber team last year and has been in the top 15. I can't tell you how many times I heard, um, you know, when, when I worked at Rutgers or even especially when Rutgers moved from the Big East to the Big Ten, uh, Rutgers will never compete in the Big Ten. And, and Steve Peichel has had him ranked and, and headed towards the postseason. Um, so, you know, if, 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 if Seton Hall and, and Rutgers and, you know, if, if these are teams that are not just top 25 teams, but it's teams that have been in the top 15, top 10, um, you know, all Americans players of the year, 
you know, you cannot tell me that that Fordham can't make the NCAA tournament. So, you know, that that's the, this is the thrill. This is the fun of it, uh, especially when you're sitting in Cole's seat. And, um, you know, but I, I would not be surprised if you hear some new names emerge and, and, and them taking their time with the process. Exciting times in the New York college basketball area and Vin Parisi, college basketball analyst for Fox Sports, ESPN, SNY, St. John's Radio as well. We'll be there to help break it all down. Vin, thank you so much for coming on, spending some time with us. Good luck the rest of the way this season. Stay safe, stay blessed. You too, Jaden. Thanks so much, my man. Anytime.